Hi guys, uh, welcome to season one, episode eight, with a wonderful guest for you. We have the reigning, newly queened, Ms. Great Britain classic, the lovely Gina Broadhurst. How are you? Hi Matt, I'm really excited to talk to you today. This is very exciting. Is This will probably, as with the other queens, be the longest conversation that we've actually had, which is actually part and parcel of why I want to do the, uh, the podcast, or why I am doing the podcast, is because... With all the uh, arrangements and all the bits and pieces that you guys do, we don't actually have really that much time to have an extended conversation about you, about all that kind of stuff. Obviously, I know Saffron picks up a lot of, of that and talks you about what you want to do with your reign, but I actually don't get that much chance to actually sit down and chat to you guys. So this is awesome. Uh, this is awesome. Um, so I'm going to start with, um, you, you know, who are you in your in your family and career? Because you're one of uh, the queens that actually hasn't really got a pageant history other than taking the the main title this year so yeah talk to me about your uh, your background your family career all that kind of cool stuff so i'm a mum of two i have a daughter who is 11 called genevieve and i have a son who's 10 called sterling and we live with my husband simon in surrey son and i run a business together which you know working with your partner it's mm -hmm. great comes with some challenges it's definitely a knack to working with your partner which I'm sure you'll be aware of yep fully <laughs> um we run a company that sells shutters it's not a glamorous thing at all that I do I talk a lot about interior design and I can spin it in a glamorous way but it really isn't we you know we measure windows and we sell bits of wood there's not much glamour in there there's definitely no need for crowns when I go out to meet customers um, but I haven't really, that isn't really my career. So I've ended up there, but that wasn't really by design. Mm -hmm. My background prior to that for decades was um, media sales. So I've worked for lots of different media owners, companies like Capital Radio and Channel 4 and brands that, you know, viewers to the podcast would know mm -hmm. and sold TV and radio and cinema and digital and loads of different things um so that's kind of more my corporate career okay and what and what did you specifically do for um for, for those companies what was like what, what was your day-to-day -day like so when I was a lot younger I um got a job in sales it was one of those sort of ubiquitous jobs that if you didn't really know what you wanted to do you got a job in sales you know it's how you got on and I sold some really boring stuff. I have sold toilets before and urinals, I might add. I've sold photocopiers. I've sold um, IT training, all really not very super exciting stuff. But I got quite good at sales. So when I realized that I was a salesperson and, and I enjoyed it and I skilled up quite a lot, I thought, right, I want to sell something that I can be really proud of, passionate about, really get into my career sales. And I applied for a job working up in Manchester, bear in mind I lived in London at this time, um, for a radio station. I saw it in the Media Guardian supplement. That was where you looked for jobs in media, you know, in the 90s. Um, and I applied for this job and I fought tooth and nail to get my first job in radio, which was then sponsorship and promotions. So um, what was that? All the Billy competitions you hear on the radio. So if you're listening to The Breakfast Show on any radio station and they're giving away a holiday or a, or a car or 
quite frankly, a TV, anything. Somebody's job is to sell that to the brand who provides the prize, they pay for the media exposure, and then you make up the silly competition. Mm -hmm. That was basically my job, to make up ridiculous competitions and sell them to people. And also to find sponsors for the programmes. So in the way that you would have a breakfast show sponsor, or the traffic and travel is always sponsored on radio stations, and all the events, you know, you have a partner for a concert or a music event. That was what I basically did. So I started out working with smaller brands because I worked on a regional radio station in Manchester. And then when I sussed out what radio was all about, I ramped it up a bit and I applied to work at Capital Radio. And I kind of just doorstepped them and was a bit ballsy and just said, I only want to work for you. I want to come back to London and you're the best. And this this was the days of, this is showing my age here now, Chris Tarrant on The Breakfast Show, Neil Fox on Drive Time. Mm -hmm. It was the biggest radio station. It was the Crown Jewels. You know, it was one that everyone wants to work for. And I just blagged them into giving me an interview, really. And I managed to find, you know, get a job there. So I spent years in commercial radio bouncing around, having loads and loads of fun. And then I moved into TV. So I did a very similar role for um, the Discovery Channel, but working pan-European. So I sold uh, across 27 countries in 16 languages. Cool. I, and I definitely don't speak 16 languages. <laughs> um, and when you're creating content for a brand, so so all the clients that came out of the uh, Far East would do deals across Europe and uh, Middle East, Turkey, Miti as it was called, and then I would deliver those deals for them. So it'd be content coming out of Singapore, let's say, for Singapore Airlines, and I'd have to sell it into Italy, Germany, France, and so you'd have to reversion the content into Italian, French, German, Turkish, and then you have to come up with an idea that culturally, does that work in Turkey? Well, if it works in Turkey, does it work in Italy? Because they're quite different cultures. And it was a really complicated job. So I loved working in TV, but that was tricky. So was that, and, was that more of a branding um, piece? Or was, because obviously, uh, I suppose branding and, and, and culture kind of all go together. So was that what was going on then? And, and had you merged from what you were doing in radio when you went into TV, was that a completely different role? It was like radio on steroids. It was it was a very sharp learning curve. So I didn't have a degree. I didn't go to uni. I didn't even finish my A-levels. I had the capacity to get really great grades, but I couldn't be bothered, in all honesty. In hindsight, 47, I can say that. I couldn't be bothered. And I was very wild as a young lady and I just wanted to have fun and so I did so consequently I didn't have a marketing degree let's say that a lot of my counterparts did have and so my learning curve was very steep you know there were people sitting in the room way more qualified than me on paper but I had years of experience so it's that trade-off university of life versus university which is better and you know 50% of the viewers will think, well, definitely get the marketing degree. And I can see why, because I have big holes in my knowledge. And then 50% will say, but you had eight years experience, you know, get, get smarts on the job. 
and today, today it's very different as well as like most people most employees now are much more to the tune of the experience versus what you're what you're learning because obviously the education system has changed things that were relevant now necessarily aren't even when you're starting a course to, to finish in a course so um you know it was it was almost like you were the early version of a uh, I suppose an online influencer having to influence tv stations to be able to buy your stuff yeah and it was I mean it was amazing because I've, I feel very privileged to have worked in that industry for a very for decades because I worked with um, a patch of media agencies and a patch of creative agencies. So every brand will have somebody that buys their ads for them, a media agency, and someone that makes their ads for them, a creative agency. They'll probably all have a PR agency as well. There's so many stakeholders that work on, let's, let's pick a brand that I worked on for years, Wrigley's, for example. You know, Wrigley's have a huge team of people that work behind the scenes to produce that sponsorship that you see when you watch Hollyoaks. Mm. That's me showing how old I am. Or Toyota, who always sponsored T4 back in the day. You know, we worked with so many different people and they were all the best, super smart in their roles. So the, it was like a room full of giants when mm. you went in the room. I always felt hugely insignificant. If you ever want to challenge your imposter syndrome, that's a brilliant way to do it because you've got to stand up and present to these people and be an authority in your field, feeling like you're definitely not the smartest woman in the room. Mm -hmm. But you've got to just um, front it out. You know, uh, I learned a lot of, about growth mindset and resilience and putting on a the right mental attitude from those years in that career, I think. So that so really, I suppose without you knowing, you went through a pageant boot camp without even having anything to do with with pageants, really, um, because essentially what you described there is is not obviously it's not as aggressive or, you know, because that is a savage industry. That's step on throats to get places kind of industry where obviously pageants are not. Um, but, you know, you, you dial that down and that's exactly what's expected of you when you're um when you're coming in to say miss great britain or any other pageant is you're pr pr you're bringing the best version of yourself even if inside you maybe just don't feel like you are the best version at that point you still put it out there front center um and be willing to you know let's call it what it is be be judged on stage um and in interviewing for your attitude so you just went through a, a pageant boot camp early doors without even knowing about it yeah i think i think a lot of what has happened to me on my journey through life absolutely when i got to the point of being a few weeks out of miss great britain i did a bit of soul searching because i was really focused on interview and on stage question and i was really focused on what might i be asked what would my response be you know all the mental gymnastics mm -hmm. why am i here what does it mean and i just thought in a very bizarre way I am really well trained for this because I've I've experienced so many scenarios that I'm drawing on that are shaping me that are really appropriate, mm. not by design, you know, a happy accident, I guess. Yeah. And and working, I suppose, in the in the role that you did, really you can only control the controllables. So working on the controllables that you can control within, say, a pageant um uh, competition you know that that's all the rest is kind of down to the night and the unexpected and, and what will be will be sort of thing but um you often find that the girls that do focus on the controllables are the ones that generally um they do come out on top because that's where their focus goes 
Yeah, I, I've been putting out quite a lot of kind of quotes and memes on my Instagram page, um, all that are pertinent to my campaign, which is called Live For Now, which is predominantly about self-confidence and female um, banishing imposter syndrome, let's say. And that your what is inside your control and what is outside your control is one of the things that I posted a couple of months back because it is so important to acknowledge that if you can't influence something, don't get stressed about it. There's yeah. no point. Wasted energy. Yeah, absolutely. And I say that to my children all the time. But can you control that? Because if you can't, don't tie yourself up in nuts about it. There's no point. Yeah, 100%. That, that's um, my mindset as well, for sure. We, we're going to circle back to the Live For Now stuff um, because it's quite a nice segue into um, actually, you know, how you became involved in the pageant world. Because like, as you said, you know, your um, your media background, your uh, shutters business, how how do we connect the dots together with how you ended up at, uh, at Miss Great Britain? So... Um... So there's a few there's a few things going on there. So um, I left corporate world in 2018, and I left corporate world because I had two very young children. My I had two under two. They were a little bit older than that, but they were very close together in age. Um, I think one had started primary school and one was at nursery. Let's say around that age, and I was leaving before they woke up, and I would get home about half an hour before they went to bed and I had a nanny, um, they weren't really getting the best of mummy. Mummy was all over the shop doing... I, by then, I was the head, and sale, head of sales and advertising for View Cinemas, working across 87 cinemas across the UK. So, again, you know, busy. Um, so I came out of that so that I could focus on the children and said, oh, I'll help you with the business, Simon, for a little bit, I'll help you boost it up a bit. I'll, you know, do a marketing review for you, a bit of social media, and then I'll go off and get another job. And seven years later, or however many years later, I'm still working in the business. Um, and so lockdown hit two years later. We're bobbling along. By then, we've got two staff. Um, we're a limited company. So we're shut. We can't furlough ourselves because then we'd have to shut our business. So we can't take an income. We have no other income. Both of us work in this company. And we couldn't get self-employment income from the government schemes because we're not self-employed. We're employed by our limited company. Computer said no. We just fell into a great big gap. And when I realised this, I started to panic because we've got two kids, a mortgage, you know, um, and I started looking in social media, you know, there must be other people in this gap. What are we going to do? And very quickly, I founded a lobbying campaign. Again, a happy accident. Wasn't a plan to be a political lobbyist, but that's where I ended up. And it just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And we ended up with about 20,000 followers because um, there were a lot. There were like three and a half million people who were in the same boat as me, basically. And this thing just grew and became enormous. And I ended up doing interviews on, you know, the Channel 4 News and um, Sky News and ITV and being quoted in the FT and like insane stuff. Um, and at that time, I came across the former director for Miss Great Britain, a lady called Kate. 
Um, now, she was in the same boat as me. Miss Great Britain wasn't operating, I don't think, because of lockdown. Um, but she couldn't furlough herself and she had no income. And her husband was also in the same boat. So she was a double whammy like me. Mm -hmm. um, so we we knew each other then and we we talked about, oh, you own Miss Great Britain, what's that? You know, there was an exchange about it. But it just wasn't relevant to me because at that point, I don't think Classic existed. And I was too old for Miss Great Britain. And so it was kind of a chat, you know, nice chat point. But that was it, really. And then it came back into my life this year, 2023, when I stumbled across Kirsty Fletcher. So I'm on Instagram all the time promoting my business. And the way the algorithm works, as I'm sure you know, when you niche down into who it is that you want to target, you tend to come across similar businesses. So my business is very much Surrey women of a certain profile well that is obviously who Kirsty's targeting well the and thing so is it's got like Surrey's got a great pedigree for for Ms and Ms candidates haven't they uh, quite clear so we, yeah we just kept cr crashing into each other so to speak you know I kept seeing her ads and she probably kept seeing mine so um I just made a joke with her that I was too old and that's when she said no I've I've won and this is classic and and the rest is, is history so it's funny how life serves you the opportunity once and if you don't you know Miss Great Britain popped up to me but wasn't relevant so it popped up again just to let remind me that it was there by which point clearly there was a classic category away we went. Well that's interesting because this uh, when I think back the same thing happened to me for, for one of my businesses I, I saw it in glancing and it was only in hindsight that I that I recognized what it was when I was already in it so it was yeah it was all it was all a bit all a bit strange it's weird how you know you have the universe whatever you want to call it just deal with you some <laughs> cards that that nudge you in in a certain direction it's all it's all very all very strange um so but so why though why did you why did you want to come to Miss Great Britain what was the what was the the catalyst that made you go okay so now i understand that there's a place for yeah. me or now i understand that what this is about it serves me how what how did you arrive with that one so i've been quite open throughout my campaigning that menopause was not kind to me i have not gone through the menopause but perimenopause which is this dastardly thing which you can't ever quite put your finger on it you don't really know if you're in it or not. Everybody has different symptoms. It goes on for years. It's a right bind, to be honest, perimenopause. But anyway, I've been struggling with that for years, since my early 40s. And I've been pushed around by the NHS for a variety of reasons that I won't bore you with. We'll go very top level. But I was not getting what I needed. And it got to the point where they said to me, you can't have HRT because you have a blood condition. So it's just not available to you. Well, that was actually wrong. But I was told that for years and years and years until they discovered that they were wrong. Um, and so they just told me to have a hysterectomy, just casually, you know, just have a hysterectomy, that'll solve it all. And I said, well, but biologically, what happens to you if you have a hysterectomy? And they said, well, you You're go hard. thrown into menopause. You go hard into <laughs> the menopause. And I said, 
okay and what if that's really awful for me what what do you what would you do and they said well we'd give you hrt and i went mm. right so back to the beginning i can't have that so that's not that appealing. you know it was like a it was like a weird dream that i was stuck in for years and then eventually at the start of 2023 because all through lockdown gynae care was all zoom calls like this because that was all they could do I just got a Zoom call with a different consultant. And for the first time in about five years, it was a woman. And she just read all my notes and said, but you've just been told complete rubbish for five years. You can have HRT, but you can only have one type. This is it. I'll prescribe it now. And I was like, what? You know, like, like lightning bolt moment. And that was two months before... I came across Kirsty. Right. So that period of time was transformative for me. I went from being, I mean, I don't think suicidal is the right word at all, but emotionally, absolutely all over the shop. One minute high as a kite, next minute, you know, a, a crying jelly on the floor and anywhere in between to feeling actually quite good again you know, bit back to my former self. And I just thought, well, what's the worst that can happen? So I asked three people and I said to Kirsty, I'll ask three people, my closest three people. And if they say yes, I will do it. And if they say no, I'm out. So I asked my mum, my sister, my husband, mm. they all said, do it. I was like, oh, I've made a commitment now. I shouldn't have said that. I've got to do it. <laughs> I've got to put my money where my mouth is. So I did it. That's interesting because I uh, sort of touching back on the on the menopause thing is that uh, a lot of my own clients are menopausal women, so I kind of understand it a lot more perhaps than most most men, I guess, and yeah. maybe the most females because it's funny chatting to them and them not knowing. And um, just as an aside, you know, I, I'm and for people perhaps listening to this is, is that it is really really worth you paying for your own blood test just a blood test to start with to find out where your levels are because mm -hmm. it, you're right in what you're saying the nhs is great as it is they're going to give you a patch and that patch is going to deliver a generic approach to something that is so bespoke an individual if your testosterone is through the floor and that's the key thing that's going to you know bring you back into feeling normal and what have you then that's what has to happen versus mm -hmm. just we're going to give you a blend of estrogen progesterone and, and testosterone and hope that all this stuff goes away um yeah. and it's just an aside i suppose from a from a guy who's seen how many challenges women have had as a result of of menopause through through doing what i do um just by going and getting a good quality blood panel analysis and usually you can get them for under 200 quid now so you can see exactly where you're at and then addressing that individual hormone deficiency or efficiency depending on on what it is Will, will absolutely change life. And I've seen it when I've recommended it to my clients, they've gone and then done it and then taken the findings to the GP or the the uh, the gynae specialist and gone, well, actually, you're telling me this and this is the panel that is that's showing right now in my body. And it shows me that I have no testosterone, hardly any in my body, or my estrogen is way high because everyone just assumes it's an estrogen deficiency or it's something or this or that. It's not. There's so many more hormones at play. And I get quite passionate about it because I see... 
the change in the women when they just you know either nudge their testosterone up a bit um and bang they're now feeling so much better their body composition is changing you know they're 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 sleeping better all this kind of stuff um, and then all that just makes life a damn sight easier, not only for them, but for me who's coaching them um, to be able to get them on the get them on the right path for, for what they're doing. So I'm really pleased that you, you're using Miss Great Britain as your platform to, to educate people on that. I just wanted to put that across from from my point of view. Thank you. There are 13 million women going through menopause right now at this moment in the UK. So if people think menopause isn't their problem, that I, I would challenge anyone because if it isn't you or your sister or your mum or your auntie or the woman you sit next to at work, yeah. you know, or your daughter or your granddaughter, whoever, whoever it is, it is going to directly affect everybody in the UK at some point. So the fact that menopause mandate have been working to get um, menopause onto the primary school curriculum and they've actually managed to do that now, that's so important. Because now the generations coming through from now on will have a bit more of an understanding of menopause. And that's actually all we need. We just need more knowledge. Knowledge is power. If everybody understood a little bit more about menopause, instead of being written off as like a crazy, angry, bitter old cat lady, you know, people, it, there would be a bit of understanding of like, actually, this person's going through a tough time, be a little bit more empathetic. No, I, I agree. And I think also there's, there is still an, a responsibility to ourselves to one educate ourselves and i'm speaking from guys and and women here as well mm -hmm. um is that we have to educate ourselves on ourselves because we you know we if we were in america for example who you know they pay for all their their treatments and all that kind of stuff we might be a little bit more inclined to actually have a look under the bonnet to to see actually what's going on ourselves so me personally i do blood work re very regularly so i know and i can like we we're talking about controlling the controllables you know i i know if things are out of whack being 42 myself I know that my testosterone doesn't last forever. So, you know, I'm very um, passionate about the the menopause side of things as well in the, the drop in testosterone increase in depression and suicide and anxiety and all that kind of stuff in guys because we go through the same, albeit not as always as dramatic or um, symptomatic as what perhaps females do. Um, but guys do go through the same thing. So both parties need to educate each other on each other. And I think if you were able to, to do that in a in an elegant way, it would dramatically change. Well, it would change all sorts of stuff in workplace, in home life, in divorce statistics, all this kind of stuff, because our nerve center or our personality center is really a bunch of chemicals all interacting with one another. And when you take one out or you elevate one somewhere else that maybe shouldn't be elevated, then the wheels start to, to come off. But we have to um, educate ourselves on what we should be looking for. So a GP is a general practitioner, or as I call because I've got some clients that are, that are GPs, I call them Google practitioners, um, with respect. Um, but yeah, they're not, they're not designed to know all the answers and not, and nor should they, because they're general. So we have to take our own responsibility to look under our own bonnet and be able to ask better questions in order to, to seek better solutions. Agreed. Cool. <laughs> that was a fist bump moment, but we can't because we're on because we're on Zoom. So <laughs> circling back to um to the pageant. So I know that the menopause thing was um was important to you, but how did you knit the two together? How did you translate that into being, well, actually, 
Miss Great Britain, you know, for people who don't necessarily know Miss Great Britain or don't know pageant, they just think beauty pageant. So how did you connect all the dots to to educate yourself on exactly what this thing was to know it was the right platform for you to be able to then start to bring this to the, to the forefront? So the person that obviously introduced me to it was Kirsty, former classic queen. So pretty knowledgeable on the system. And pretty knowledgeable on you know competing and the process of trying to win that crown and very early on I said to Kirsty okay I think I'm going to do this but before I sign on the dotted line can we have a call and can I just literally ask you a million questions like I, I love a bit of research I love a spreadsheet I like to be fully clued up before I do things that is the way I operate and we had a call one Sunday afternoon and the call literally went like this, me opening notebook to the page where I'd written 72 billion questions. Mm -hmm. And I just got a pen out and went, right. And, quest you know, I asked her every conceivable question you can imagine. How does this work? What's that? What would I have to do? Why, when, how, who, what, where, when? You know, just absolutely, like, asked her everything I could think of. Got it all off my chest. And at the end of it, I went, yeah, I can, I can see that I can add value here. I can see that what, what I would campaign about and what I what I would talk about actually fits. Like I can see a place for me here because I just had kind of flushed out everything to do with Miss Great Britain. And we actually talked about menopause on that call. And at that point, it was a bit like, mm, it's a bit cliche, isn't it? being a classic queen and talking about menopause because it just did the thing that sort of 40 something women talk about and we almost like parked it like probably that's not the thing um but you know what when I was a few weeks a month into Miss Great Britain and I was seeking media opportunities so I was contacting the press and I was talking to journalists it was the thing that they were all really interested in it was the thing that defined my story and so it got dialed up because it made sense. And my concerns about it being a bit obvious and cliche, I was wrong, you know, because it's it's probably the most important issue I could have talked about. Yeah, for sure. And is that what your um is that what your year in rain is gonna mainly focus on is still, you know, um going down uh, that that narrative of helping that get out there more what's what's your plans now you have actually won um where that's concerned so uh, i think one of the biggest products of perimenopause for women is a lack of confidence anxiety elevates and confidence diminishes and women second guess themselves and get all tied up in knots and so Live For Now, which is what I've sort of branded my campaign as, has really focused on giving women the skills to foster a positive mindset and to boost their self-confidence. Now, that is as applicable to a 21-year-old as it is a 47-year-old. It's about female empowerment and female self-confidence. So a lot of the content that I put out there, any woman could take value from. And I interviewed six women that I thought really had interesting stories and embodied female self-confidence. And that was an Instagram live series. And I've already committed to doing a second series during my reign. And actually, I 
think I've probably already got a third series in me already because I put a call out to my followers to say, who do you think I should interview? Who would you be fascinated to hear from? Who embodies live for now? Who, who's the poster girl? And I got bombarded with, with suggestions, some of whom got added in the comments on my reel and immediately contacted me and said, I'd love to do this. Cool. I couldn't believe it. Um, so I've definitely got now a really nice shopping list of people that I can interview and more content that I can create. So that isn't menopause per se, although some of those women are very much menopositivity warriors themselves. It's really more about female energy and positivity and self-confidence. Yeah, cool. So have you got Davina on the list? I haven't got Davina on the list. I wouldn't say no to Davina. Let's be honest. If Davina hey. knocked on the door, I wouldn't say no. I would but, go big, um, go big or go home. Yeah. You cannot message Davina on Instagram. Her inbox is not open. Um, oh, there's so there's always a way. There's always a way. You can't doorstep her that way. But my sponsor, owning your menopause, Kate, um, is a very big meno warrior and knows. Uh, so she works with Wellbeing of Women, which is a charity, and it is present at many of the large menopause mandate type events. So there is a route if I want to take it. Yeah, there's always there's always a route. There's always a way, and I'm pretty sure, Gina, if there's a way, you will you are the perfect person to find it. I I would suggest. Um, so we you touched actually there, which is a lovely segue into philanthropy and, and charity. So uh, I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on you know what you're involved with and what you've actually previously done, maybe in in your former life, and and what you want to bring into particularly years reign as the as the new Miss Great Britain Classic. So as a little girl have really strong memories of doing charity work with my mum. My mum was a really big charity advocate. So she was always involved in a number of different female led charitable organizations. We always had a lifeboat, very 1980s, a large plastic lifeboat that we went and shook around the town center. And did you know the first ever lifeboat was in the Isle of Man, but you didn't know that amazing fact. well that's only that's one of the facts that i now know along with it being the Bee Gees original home yes uh, which you told me at the alex's wish ball on saturday okay. i still need to query i'm just not sure okay, about that. so on the Bee Gees, let me tell you this so the Bee Gees, the gib brothers yes lived in onken in the isle of man where my mum and my uncle ian grew up they used to play with them they used to climb trees with them and my uncle fell out of a tree which he was climbing with the gib brothers and cracked his head open so fact they then emigrated to australia when they were oh. little awesome fact, they started out in the isle of man did they um, did they run did they run um to the nearest house and say he's fallen out of a tree but he's staying alive they should have done the they dad, have done. The dad this joke. is only one of the times he cracked his head open he cracked his head open i think a further two times he, <laughs> he slid down a hill on a tea tray on one occasion and went off the edge of a cliff he was quite an accident prone child my did opinion. he suffer with a night fever no <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna leave it there i'm gonna i can't i can't give it anymore i can't otherwise we'll, <laughs> we'll get cancelled or something um so anyway, back to the lifeboat yeah yeah was also launched in the Isle of Man. So my mum is from the Isle of Man and my dad is also from the Isle of Man. So I am big for 
Manx culture. All my aunties and uncles and cousins are over in Yarra Man. We had a lovely Manx lady competing this year, Ella, in the Ms. Division. Um, and I've also come across another girl in pageantry, Joanna Martin-Edge, who's from the Isle of Man, which has been really lovely. Wonderful. Um, so, I yeah, think we mom... should have a regional heat over on the uh, Isle of Man. I think that would be a... There, a... Used, there used to be a Miss Isle of Man competition. I've spoken to Sally Ann about it, but it hasn't happened for a long time. Well, you never know. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, my mum was always out shaking your tin. She always did the poppy appeal as well. So... I was always brought up that, you know, you give your time and your energy to charities. That's what you do. My godmother, who's a really significant figure in my life as well, was a prolific fundraiser. Sadly, she lost her daughter when her daughter was, I think, about two years old to quite a rare childhood illness. And she raised an, an enormous sum of money in the early 80s. And they built a whole ward at our local hospital for, in her daughter's name. Um, and she then, in later life, founded a charity called ICPV, which is Independent Cancer Patients Voice, because she had been a cancer patient, had a double mastectomy, and recognised that she needed to advocate for patient voice. So if you're undergoing treatment for cancer, are the doctors and the nurses listening to what you need and what you think and what you want? And that's what her charity advocates for. Um, so, so these are the sort of people around me. So I've always felt compelled to do charitable work. Um, my, and um, in fact, my big sister has founded a charity since her husband passed away in 2020. She has founded a charity in his name, the Andy Taylor Foundation. So I think one of the things I'll probably do throughout my reign is do some kind of work with the Andy Taylor Foundation um, because my brother-in-law, Andy, was a phenomenal human. Oh, cool. That's ace. And... Yeah. Apart from um, those kind of uh, philanthropic uh, charity events, what have you got planned this year um, with your reign? Have you got much in the diary yet? Do you know where you're, you obviously I know you're you're going to the um, which we're really jealous that we're missing actually this year, which is the New Year's Day parade. Are you looking forward to that one? I am. I'm looking forward to the New Year's Day parade. I'm praying that it's not going to rain because last year it looked like a clear, dry, bright day. Yeah, it was cold, but it was it was great. The chances of two in a row are slim, aren't they? So I'm praying that it's not going to. Well, London usually is. It's not. It's not generally too bad. It's cold, but generally bright. I would. I think you're going to be absolutely fine. I mean, we'll be very hot because we'll be on a beach. But, <laughs> but I'm not sure. Yet. I'm sure it'll be. It's a great day. It really is a fantastic day, and a lot of effort goes in uh, into it. So it'd be interesting to see actually what you do this year. I think last year there were um, the girls were in the back of. The minis like sat on the the sort of back bit of convertible minis, which was which was really cool, uh, and we got to see that. So I'm excited for you to to go and experience that one. Is there anything else that's on your on your goals list for for this year? So I think um, we're all going. The queens are going to Supranational in February, which still for me going to a pageant is very new and exciting experience. The first pageant I ever attended was Miss London where I was the host. So that was completely bonkers. I've never even been to a pageant. I found myself hosting a pageant. But um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see a different system. How does that work? Is it different? Is it similar? Um, we're going to the pageant expo. That's pretty cool. I think we are the opening, um, opening the runway. So we're going to walk, which is quite cool. That cool. should be fun. 
what else have we got going on? So we're planning at the moment, Larissa and Maddie and I are planning an event, um, probably for summer of next year. Ooh. Can't tell you anything about that yet, all in the pipeline, but that should be very fun. Okay. I'll just have a look in the WhatsApp chat and figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> we've got we've got a secret chat. Well, so. I'll ask Maddie because she she yeah, she's like a leaking ship. She'll she'll <laughs> Yeah, sorry, carry on. And what is that? Can you say what that's in aid of for? Or it's all really very uh, embryonic at the moment. So I think I'll just keep still on that. Okay, cool. No worries. Um, what else have I got? I had my planner out. I literally had like a month by month. Well, oh, well, in the immediate future, on Sunday in a few days' time, we're going to do our Queen's shoot with Charlotte Clemmy. Yes, you that's are. That's mega exciting. Can't wait for that um i've never done a shoot with a crown so that will be quite exciting and charlotte, is, charlotte's still, excellent i still find it really difficult to get it on and have it straight and not wear it as a necklace because obviously on the night it fell around my head you know down here because of my head so tiny so there's <laughs> a lot of pins in here holding it on brilliant uh, actual fun fact actually i don't know whether anybody's got this but for for charlotte as well she's actually joining the miss great britain media team um as of so in for the finals next year she'll be shooting alongside our media crew chris and james so that'll be cool that'll be really good oh, so wow. yes um actually more so actually at the request of chris and james they were really impressed with with her and and made the invite to to get involved so we're excited about that having a another fantastic human uh behind the camera which is fantastic uh and that's an exclusive you can have that as an exclusive so um talk to me a little bit about um the things that you would say to people who were in your at your place in time when you were looking at Miss Great Britain uh, either particularly where the classic or maybe talk to all divisions and if there are people that are perhaps listening or stumble across the podcast and they want to actually get involved in the in the pageantry like what has it done for you or what has it brought to you um being involved so the whole um assumption or that you know pageantry must be a bit bitchy absolutely not you know it I've met some of the most incredible women I've made friends for life um some of the girls the night before the final were incredibly giving with their experience and their knowledge and it like from that perspective you know it's a real eye-opener to see how everybody helps and shares and you know raises each other up so emotionally it's a very supportive environment which I think is really nice mm -hmm. um I have had to be introspective and look at where I needed to be braver and grow and and round myself out and so the work I've done over the last eight, nine months, you know, I do feel I'm a bit of a learning and development junkie. When I was in corporate, I did so many courses, you know, my Myers-Briggs profile and Dale Carnegie, and you name the course I've been on it. And I love that. And I draw on those a lot with my pageantry stuff. But I still find that I'm learning now and I'm learning from the girls, you know, People like Edison, who is so young, one of the regional directors, absolutely full of pearls of wisdom. 
Um, jazz, Kuggy, again, 21, I think, full of pearls of wisdom. Um, you know, it's incredible to speak to these girls and hear their journeys and hear what they've got to say. Um, what I, Maya Wayne, who I made friends with, who's in a different system, but she's a junior queen, royal junior, and I mean, wise beyond her years. And this, this comes from pageantry, you know, because they've just invested for years in themselves and their self-development. And they just say things to me. And I think, file that one away. That's gold dust. Yeah, for sure. And actually, what on to, to touch on Edison as well, who's actually away currently competing internationally. So mm -hmm. if you are listening to Edison, good luck. Hope you smash it. And, yeah. and we'll have you give you a shout out for sure. Because, uh, yeah, like you say, the... And and the thing, and this is why I'm so impressed with and, and, and why I am in my way passionate about um, you know, spreading the um the message through pageantry and you know, not even just through Miss Great Britain, but it's it's its own personal development company. That that's what it is, because there's no I can't see any other hobby maybe outside of I suppose like drama and, and that kind of thing that prepares people for being able to present themselves in a way that they can adapt mold or what have you to the situation that they're in um which is essentially pretty scary you know because being in front of people in our case over 600 people walking on that runway, and i say it on most podcasts you know walking on that runway in sometimes not that much you know if you're talking swimwear or what have you and of course you can pick whatever it is that you want what you want to wear but you know the majority of the girls were they were out there and they were you know this is this is me and it's just it's humbling and it's just fantastic to to see because it's and generally in heels as well which is a scary prospect as I, as I can imagine um it's it's just such an unbelievable platform for people to 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 train themselves in progression you know it it, it really is and did you see that when you were speaking to Kirsty did you get that vibe from her yeah so Kirsty has the dark arts within her because I, my area of comfort was going to always be interview and on stage question because I'm a speaker. You know, I've presented to boards of global companies to get their marketing budget, to get their spend. So for me, that was the least scary part. And doing the media interviews was the least scary part. I quite, in a weird way, I quite like live TV because it's terrifying, but adrenaline and fun all at the same time. For me, on stage was absolutely terrifying. Terrifying, because that was not my comfort zone. I'm really clumsy, I always fall over, high heels, you know, or a bad combo. But every girl's different. And there were some girls who were so born to be on the stage, but terrified of being given the mic for the onstage question. So we're all different. But Percy's got the dark arts within, because when we were doing our coaching, I was saying to her, oh, well, I think I'll be all right in an interview because you know, I will she's like well go on then do, do you know do it to me now do it so I did it and she'd be like right it's got some notes for you and I think every single thing she said she's absolutely right that's that's I guess the experience of you know competing and coaching and fine-tuning me to, to be a bit more pageanty and a bit less like I'm presenting to the marketing board I think when I started yeah I was a bit more corporate yeah, I dialing did. down the the alpha female yeah. <laughs> edge a little. Yeah, and yeah. fluffing my, fluffing me up a bit more. But you know, every single piece of advice she gave me was bang on, mm -hmm. absolutely bang on. And I then practiced. I would, I mean, probably 
definitely, definitely three, four, five hundred times. I could possibly have got up to a thousand times. I had a timer on my phone for two minutes and I had a timer on my phone for one minute. And every time I drove anywhere, and bear in mind, I drove Derbyshire and back, Leicester and back. That's three and a half hours each way. On one occasion, oh, and I drove to Red Carpet Ready, Lincolnshire and back three and a half hours. On one occasion, all I did the entire way there, entire way back was just practice my interview and one stage question. So like seven hours of practice in one journey. Just taking on board Kirsty's feedback. You know, I'm I'm absolutely convinced that I wouldn't have won if I hadn't had my coaching with Kirsty. And that's a skill in itself, being able to take on feedback and you know accept that you don't know it all and be able to take on um, you know a good quality critique to be able to then polish what you've already what you've already got because you know it's a it's a like I say a skill in itself being humble enough to go okay so I appreciate you've done this before and you know there's a there's a lot of there's a lot to be said for what's yeah as we know modeling I'm not talking about physical model I'm talking about modeling someone who's got what you've already want or has got what you want in order to replicate the 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 outcome I've got a really big thing that I'm thinking about a lot at the moment which is that your your thoughts are not you and that sounds a really weird thing to say but like the thoughts that go through your head all the time because you have an internal monologue all the Mm -hmm. time don't you and and they tend to be the things that are going to trip you up. They're the limiting beliefs, the things that ding in your head the whole time. So when I was competing, you know, the things that would be like, oh, you're going to trip over. Well, if you think you're going to trip over, you're going to trip over, right? If, if you positive mental attitude and all that. So I was trying to separate my thoughts from my personality because my thoughts are not me. And I was trying to observe my thoughts as an outsider rather than allow my thoughts to trigger the chemical reaction in my body that becomes a feeling. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I mean? Because I think exactly. feelings are like a, a biochemical reaction to thoughts. You mm-hmm. think it, then your body reacts to it, either stress, excitement, whatever, and then that feeling becomes real. Then that's that state is what you're going to produce. And so I was doing a lot of work in the run-up to the final trying to separate. That's just a thought. Look upon it as if it's like a ornament on the mantelpiece. View it, observe it but don't act upon it, you know, don't turn it into a reality by reacting to it. Mm. Does um, that sound really weird and bonkers? No, not at all, because I do, I do something very similar. I do something very similar uh, in that I, I look upon it in a similar way, but it's um, almost lawyer-like. So I look at it as like, what would a jury say to this? So actually looking for evidence to the tune of whatever. So it might be negative belief about something, you're yep. terrible at being podcasting or whatever. And then it's, well, hang on a minute. So let's have a look at what, you know, the the, the evidence to support this fact. Mm-hmm. So is there evidence? Is it fact? Is it hearsay? Is it just my own opinion? Or is it mm-hmm. actual, you know, is it actual fact? Um, yeah. and, and, and peeling back the onion, as it were. And I'm quite like that in everyday life anyway. So if something happens... I'm very much okay. So let's just take half a step back here and look at the evidence. You know, so is there solid evidence to support what is causing that challenge issue or or whatever? And if not, then it's it's in the non-controllable pile and mm. uh, uh, and off you go. But yeah, unfortunately, we are still 
however many million years old in that you see scary dinosaur tiger saber tooth tiger what have you yeah. and you'll still get the same response which is someone cutting you off in traffic you'll still get delivered the same dump of adrenaline which mm -hmm. then is whatever your brain decides to do with that is where that plays out so yeah catching the two in between is um is a skill also for for sure Right, Gina, I've absolutely loved that conversation. Is there anything that I haven't asked you or uh, something that you want to speak to before um, we wrap up and tell people where they can find you? I think if anyone is watching this and like me as a complete pageant newbie and is thinking, what on earth is all this about? Why would I do it? I think absolutely take the risk but be prepared to do the work. If you, if you want to do it and be successful, it does take a lot of introspective work and then practice. But I say to my children all the time, practice doesn't make perfect. I don't believe in that expression. I think practice makes improvement. And if you can just improve a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, eventually you get to where you need to be. So just a load of regular practice, whether that be on the walking, I walked up and down my room downstairs so many times, I can't tell you. I still wasn't brilliant at it, but I was a damn sight better than when I started. Um, you know, or whether that be on your speaking, whatever floats your boat. But I think take the risk, but go into it with your eyes open that you've got to put the work in. Yeah, and and also, you know, you're you're quite an anomaly in that um, not everybody wins like the first time. You know, I suppose you look at Maddie. Uh, I think it was her fifth attempt, maybe maybe I think it was a fifth attempt. Yes. Um, you know, it's very rare that you'll walk in because I guess of the journey of what the other girls have been doing. Because there's girls that come back year in year that are working on that. You know, maybe they've got a long term game of I'm going to do this within five years, but I'm going to show up every year and just get that little bit better each time. So then it's one of those, it didn't happen on the night because it was chance. It happened on the night because of the backstory of what was put in place in the run-up to actually winning. So if um, if you are coming to, well, I suppose any pageant really, and you're doing it for the first time, it really is going and have fun and, and, and lean into it and see whether this is, you know, something that you want to progress within. I think if you, of course, you should always, if you're coming into, just my own view, if you're coming into a competition, then of course, coming in to win. But that's not everybody's outcome where a pageant, even though it is a competition, is concerned. It's coming in it to become better than you were walking through the door in, in the first place. I think you've just hit the nail on the head there. I don't think pageantry, my my first impression of pageantry, I don't think it is about the win. I think it's about the journey and what you learn on the way. That's what I, I have felt from all the women that I've met. The amazing wisdom that I've absorbed from them is it's the improvement. You know, they're only competing with themselves. Mm -hmm. And the satisfaction that they gain from turning up and becoming a better version of themselves is the prize for them. Mm. And of course, there's there's nothing wrong with showing up to win, because I think if you show up to win, then, you know, you you're almost flexing that um, you're flexing that muscle 
that's only going to serve you, I suppose, other than if you're putting pressure on yourself to win. Showing up to win and putting pressure on yourself to win are two completely different things. But holding yourself as if you are coming to win, I think can can only really serve you within uh, within the, the competitions for sure. I think taking a 10 and 11 year old with you and putting them in the front row is enough pressure. You don't need to put pressure on yourself. <laughs> I think if I hadn't won, I would have had two very sad little babies. But um, yeah, we were lucky there. But, but you oh. did, and, and that was that. <laughs> yeah, I could see them, they were just close enough to the front that I could see them beyond their table everything just went black because you know how the size of the room and so just at the corner of my eye I could see them when I was walking which was great but also made me quite nervous <laughs> <laughs> well hey look if you can't do it in front of your family then who can you do it in front of that is true Gina where can people find you if they want to find out more about um what you stand for all of your social media where can they get involved in your lives um did you decide whether you're going to go down the podcast route or is that still to be confirmed so that's the TBC so if I do my second series of live for now it will be January launch because my first guest who is amazing can't do it till January so she's going to lead the timing it will either be an Insta live and my Insta handle is um, Gina underscore Broadhurst or it will morph into a full podcast. And if it does, I'll post all about that on my page on Instagram anyway. So go to the Instagram page. You can find me on Facebook as well. And my profiles are linked. So I would say hit Instagram and then everything else will become apparent. Ace. And if you really can't find it, come to the official Miss Great Britain Instagram page and she'll be tagged all over the place in there and you'll find it from there. Um, Gina, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And uh, guys, this has been season one, episode eight with the lovely reigning Miss Great Britain classic Gina Broadhurst. <laughs>